We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to the Average Breakdown Podcast. We're live here on a Tuesday. And if, unless you're living under a rock, you know there was a national championship game that was played last night. Unfortunately, this being a Notre Dame channel, uh, Michigan came out on top, defeating the University of Washington for their uh, first national championship in a a little bit, a little bit. So they're able to get first full national championship that they don't have to share with anybody since World War II. So, yeah. (laughs) That's a yeah. that's a conversation for another day, but we yeah. thought it would be have a, a very interesting conversation because Brian just wrote an article actually this morning at irishbreakdown.com kind of highlighting it sucks that and we'll talk obviously more in depth about, you know, us being Notre Dame fans and Michigan winning a national championship. It stinks that they were able to climb the mountain before Notre Dame in the in the 2000s, right? That really stinks, the 2020s, but ultimately there is when you kind of take a step back, you sit down and you really dissect what last night meant. There's a lot of positives moving forward for Notre Dame, as far as what they have in place, what they are potentially moving towards. And I really do think that this is a big indicator that college football is getting more and more wide open than it used to be like, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about the transfer portal. We'll talk about money. We'll talk about a lot of layers to this conversation in today's show. But it is it is kind of brought on for the fact that we just saw a national championship game that had the University of Michigan, a team that Notre Dame has recruited better for four years, for for many years now. Even before and Marcus Freeman showed up, yeah. And they played a Washington team, which it was a great story, well-coached, some really good playmakers. But you knew if you watched Washington all year, they had flaws, man. Like, they had mm-hmm. easy flaws to be able to be seen defensively, running game wise, like they had some things that you looked at and said, that's a pretty flawed team that's playing in the national championship this year. You just saw TCU make a national championship last year. And obviously that didn't go well for them going against Georgia last year, but they still saw saw four flawed teams in the playoff this year. That's a reality. You know what I mean? Compared to past seasons. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot to take from that game last night. And I think a lot of a lot of things that we can say as Notre Dame fans, as Notre Dame analysts, as Notre Dame faithful, that you can take a look at and say, hey, they did it that way. 
Notre Dame has this that they can actually add to this conversation. So the formula is going to look a little bit different. But Brian, I would say just overall, Notre Dame has a lot of upside moving yeah. forward in today's college football landscape. Because this is not the, the few years we saw with Nick Saban and Alabama running things from the recruiting perspective, putting teams players in the NFL, maintaining a roster so they didn't have to have a bunch of roster turnover. It's not even Georgia from the last couple of years. There is a changing atmosphere in college football, which I think Notre Dame could potentially take advantage of here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I went through a wave of emotions last night, Ryan. And obviously there's just the disgust of watching what was just kind of, to me, an ugly game. It wasn't a really entertaining game. You know, Michigan played well, especially early. Well, they played really well early, and then yeah. they hit that little moment where they're just like they're stagnant, and they were oh, letting yeah. Washington just hang. I honestly thought when it was twenty to thirteen, I was like, at some point, Washington's going to make a couple plays, and the dam yeah. is going to break because Michigan just kept letting them stick around, and then obviously Washington imploded down the stretch. Right, so. and they hit that big play, and then it gets called back from a penalty. I'm yep. having like Louisville flashbacks of you know a similar situation. Down a touchdown, hit a big play, stupid penalty come brings it back. Although. How you're going to call holding on that and not 10 other times when, you know, Michigan's corners are yanking, you know, Washington's receivers down. But at the same time, there's wide open guys early. I think it was 17 to 10, no, 17 to three. And yep. they finally get Roma Dunze wide open for what would have been a touchdown. And Michael Penix just misses them. You know, I mean, there were Terrible so many throw. chances last yeah. night. He had a great two years, but he just was off last night. Part of it was on him. Part of it was on the Michigan defense. 
that just never let him get comfortable. But I'm watching that game and I'm thinking to myself, man, this sucks. Like, I just can't stand Michigan. I think they cheated. I think there's all types of things that come down to it. But at the end of the day, Ryan, you and I have discussed this a lot. Yes, Michigan cheated. There's no doubt. Michigan has admitted they've cheated without admitting it by accepting the punishment late in the season that Jim Harbaugh accepted. Right. Right. But at the end of the day, as you've pointed out many times, knowing the call isn't why you know why Aiden Hutchinson just ran through Ohio State's offensive tackles physically. It's not why in the second right. half of this year's game they just physically kicked the crap out of Penn State. They just physically kicked the crap out of Ohio State in the fourth quarter. You know why they why they were able to you know do what they did against Bama. I mean that Bama game honestly shouldn't have been close. Michigan right. handed Bama like two touchdowns early in that game. You know, yep. where, where, you know, if they don't make those mistakes, Bama's not even in the game. And yep. then they came out last night and physically beat up Washington. And you're thinking, yes, they cheated. They didn't belong there. But once they got on that stage, yep. they physically beat teams up. And I don't – look, the cheating pisses me off and all those type of things. But cheating isn't why Michigan has one of the best designed run games in college football. Yep. That's not why. It's it's, it's, it's also not why they tackle so well defensively, man. Like, yeah, why Jesse Minter's been able to design b- b- pressure packages that have her. And last night was a perfect example of you don't have to sack the quarterback to influence the quarterback. I don't think Michael yeah. Penix got actually sacked until like the third or fourth quarter, but just the whole game he was on his heels. Those yep. things aren't a result of cheating. Now it doesn't excuse the cheating, and to me, they shouldn't have been there because of that. But what it showed to me was, dude, Notre Dame's a lot closer than even I thought they are. Because as I watched Georgia and Bama play, I'm like, that's not Georgia from last year, much less two, three years ago. I'm watching Bama play, and I'm like, dude, they're slow at certain spots. Like, they don't have the talent they had just three years ago. You know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Ryan. They had Jamison Williams and John Mechie and Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith running around. And now I'm watching, like, none of these guys can play at an elite level like they've had in the past. And you're just watching college football, and you're saying, dude, it's there for the taking. And Michigan took it. And that's the reality of it. But what it made me realize last night, Ryan, is Notre Dame is closing the gap faster even than I thought. And so then I went through another range of emotions of (laughs) disgust of just, how frustrated I am that this season played out the way that it did. And I'm like, I still don't understand how the heck you lost Ohio State. I still don't just frustrate. How did you not show up against Louisville? How did you not capitalize against Clemson? And you get frustrated by that. But you also think to yourself, oh, dude, there, there was no talent gap between Notre Dame and Ohio State. There was no talent gap between Notre Dame and Clemson. Right there, the, the talent gap that existed between Notre Dame and well, if you want to say there's a talent gap, you could argue that Notre Dame had the better talent in a lot of spots. But it's not a situation like 2020 ACC title game where you're like, dude, it's Trevor Lawrence versus Ian Book. This is a mismatch. This isn't even fair. You know what I mean? It it wasn't that. And so because Notre Dame is coming up and some of those other top programs are coming down, Ohio State doesn't have the talent they had two three years ago. Clemson doesn't have the talent they had three, four years ago. Bama doesn't have the talent they had two, three years ago. That's the reality of it. Now, it it could change. It's cyclical. And those teams could kind of quickly rise back up. But right now, they just don't. And Notre Dame is up their talent level, which we'll get into today. So you start saying, like, boy, it's there for the taking. The question now, Ryan, is 
will Notre Dame actually take it? Will they do the things that they need to do to seize hold of the opportunity that's in front of them? And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next few days, we're going to have a few different shows to kind of talk about where Notre Dame is as a program. And so we're going to talk today about the areas where we believe Notre Dame is either at a championship level or like right on the verge or ascending to it, right? Because they're not at a championship level at a lot of places. Otherwise, they would have been a playoff team. But they're either at a championship level in some areas or they're they're quickly ascending to it or they show potential to be championship level. And so we'll dive into all those different topics today. And then we'll also have a show about later in the week about where they're short, where they've got to get better, where they have stuff to prove to be a championship team because they're not a championship caliber team right now. Otherwise, they would have been a playoff team. At the very least, 11-1 and one team that got left out, right? Like that would be the worst case scenario for what Notre Dame should have been this year. And then at the end of today's show, we'll also have a mailbag for those that are asking about the mailbag. So if you have a mailbag question, go ahead and get those in now. Just put MB on there so we know that they are mailbag questions and not just part of the chat. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. We're going to dive into really five or six areas and then obviously subsets of each area that we think Notre Dame is is either at a championship level or they're ascending to a championship level. Because as again, as, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, when, when I watch Notre Dame play this year and I watch the playoff every year, it, you know, it was, I'm just trying every year you could point to the teams that were the best teams, you know, Georgia, Bama, Clemson, in some years, LSU. And, and we've said before, like, man, look, Notre Dame in 2019 would have got smashed by Clemson. Like every, every I mean, LSU, like every good Notre Dame team we've seen would have got smacked by LSU in 2019. Most Notre Dame teams that were really, really good would have got smacked by 2020 Bama. You know, most no, really good Notre Dame teams would have got smacked by 2021 Georgia. And, you and you you know, look, and Notre Dame had a great team in 2018 and and did matched up against Clemson in, in really a lot of good ways. And at the end of the day, it was 30 to 3. And so you look at it and you say, man, there just were some just teams that were just way better than everybody else. But as I watched the playoff this year, and I, I just watch how teams develop and I watch the talent level at different places. And, and again, the point that I'll make is that the talent level is going like this. It's coming down at some other places and it's going up at others. And that's the reality of, of where Notre Dame is. But the next step is, okay, build on where you're good now and then improve in areas where you're not. And so those will be the, the, the areas that we have these conversations moving forward, Ryan, because you, you only get such so many windows to, to ascend into that status. And some teams have had chances to ascend into that status and they didn't take advantage. And now right. they have to worry about falling back. I think of Ohio state when I think of that, right? Like Ohio state won that 24 title 2014 title. And then they've had chances to kind of really establish themselves as the dominant program. And they just haven't been able to do it. Now they're at the risk of kind of fading back a little bit, unless they can write the ship a little bit. And, and we'll see if they will or won't, 
you know, you look at Clemson had that window that they had to take advantage of it. And they did in 2016, you know, they fell short 2015, 2016 comes along, they seize hold and then they build their program up and they win a title again, two years later, they play for a title again, three years later. And they went through that window where they were a dominant program. And of course, Georgia seized that opportunity. Bama seized it for over a decade, but you get to the point where, you know, like USC has had some moments over the last 10 years where you're like, okay, they're about to ascend like 2016. I've said this a million times, Ryan, if there was a, if there was a 12 team playoff in 2016, USC would have been dangerous going into the end of that season, the way that they were playing, but they didn't take advantage. The next year they went, lost three games again, got blown up by Notre Dame and then they collapsed last year. They show promise. They're, they're a win over, you know, late season win over, was it the Big 12 title or uh, Pac-12 title game over over Utah? If they win that, they've got a shot to play, be in the college football playoff, and they get smacked. And then this year they come out and pew. So there's been teams that have had opportunities to seize seize hold of, hey, we, we've got a chance to jump into that, that echelon. Notre Dame is being presented with one now. And the question is going to be, can they seize it? And that's going to be an unknown. But today we're going to focus on why, where I think Notre Dame is or is ascending to. So the premise, Ryan, so we set the stage for everybody, is we're going to discuss today areas where Notre Dame is at a championship level or is ascending to or that we think the potential is there for it to be a championship level. And then we'll follow up with a later show about where they're still short and where they need to get better. And so yep. I think that's a... a you know, just kind of as you as you set the premise, and and obviously part two of the show will be diving into those things, Ryan. But I just I can't help but think that when I look at where Notre Dame is and the direction they're going and the moves they're making, and I watch what's happening around other college football programs, I can't help but think this is the closest that Notre Dame has been to being able to. If you can do A, B, and C, this is the closest you've been to jumping into that that upper echelon, that top tier, that championship level, this is the closest they've been in a very, very long time, arguably since Lou Holtz was the head coach in the early 90s. I mean, I I really think they're that close. They're not there yet, obviously. But I think sure. this is the closest where you could say their roster and their circumstances compared to the other top teams, this is the closest they've been in a long time. Well, I think the excitement should be kicked up a little bit because we were in a – we were in a in a Brian Kelly era where it just always seemed like we knew who they were going to be ultimately, right? Like you knew the identity of the team in the worst way possible, though. Not like the identity as far as you're a running football team, you're super physical, you play sound defense, like that. Not not that type of identity. The identity was, especially after the 2016 debacle, was Notre Dame was going to be a 10 win team. They were going to be in, in in that in that conversation, right? One of the mid-tier or upper mid-tier groups. They're going to be in that conversation. But ultimately, they were going to fall short in the biggest moments. And that was the identity of Brian Kelly, right? It was he rose the floor, but the ceiling never got higher. You know, you put a cap on the ceiling. And why was Marcus Freeman such a just interesting hire by Notre Dame? Because it was different, right? You just hadn't seen it. It was something completely different than what the previous era was. And you knew that there was going to be some bumps along the way because it was a first-time head coach, which is always going to happen. There's always going to be some bumps. And now you're heading into year three where you're like, saw improvements from year one to year two. Now it looks like there's going to be improvements from year two to year three because of some of the decisions that he's making around him. 
and the di- the dynamic kind of ability that you see in Marcus Freeman as far as being that person that people can buy into, that has that attractiveness to him as far as building and bringing in new assets and fixing issues is the biggest thing, right? So it all has to start with the guy up top. It really does. If you're talking about building towards the future, it has to be about the guy that's making a lot of these decisions. And, you know, the majority of these decisions, obviously with the president included and the stakeholders and all that type of stuff, right? But ultimately, I think Marcus Freeman gives you a breath of fresh air for there being changes moving forward to there being an ability to potentially capitalize on a window because when, and this isn't shaded Brian Kelly, this isn't, I, I promise this isn't because the previous regime, there was no, there was no, at the end, there was no, like, there was no hints of, Oh wow. They're, they're going to take a, a chance here to make something different. No, well, no, they were just sustainability, sustainability. Marcus Freeman's taking some chances, which could end up not being great. Could end up not, you know, not firing the way that you wanted to. But ultimately, in order for things to change, you have to take chances. That's the only way for that to ultimately happen. And I think Marcus Freeman is the right man for the job. There's a lot to prove, obviously, but I think the dynamic ability, the attractiveness, the the wherewithal to understand that this isn't the best it could possibly be. That needs to be better. We need to go out and break the bank for a new offensive coordinator. We need to go find a strength coach that is renowned by a lot of very high level people as one of the best in the business. We need to up the recruiting game. All those things are things that Marcus Freeman has looked at in this program and said, that's needed. So it starts at the top, man. It starts with the head guy. It starts with the person that's making all the decisions. Ryan, I think you nailed something about the end of the Brian Kelly era. And and, and again, I, I, I'll take a lot of shots at Brian Kelly. I enjoy that to a degree, but this isn't meant to be that, as you said. This is just a reality of where we were. There was always this, there was, be, at Notre Dame, there was, be, it, we were getting to the place, and I think it had arrived with a lot of people, where we had accepted our lot in life as Notre Dame fans. Yes. Not so much as far as in our analysis or or standard, even people that demanded more still understood that right now this is just who we are and there's no vision to change it. There's just blaming of why we're here. There was never any forget all that. This is why we're going to get to the mountaintop. And so, like, for example, I remember the first time you and I met like it face to face, like we would talked and known each other. You'd written some articles, but the first time we'd met face to face is when you came in town for the Cincinnati game. And there just was kind of this expectation, like, they're going to lay an egg tomorrow. You know that, right? Like, we all understand that, right? I mean, yes, you were hoping, there was always a hope that they'd prove us wrong. But there was always this expectation that, but this is just what's going to happen. This is who Notre Dame is. They're going to get on that stage, and they're just... Uh, Against a team, against a team that was, although very good, good for a couple years span they were still an aac team they were still a group of five team technically and should not have had they did not have the talent to do what they did to notre dame or should not have had the talent and so when you looked at it ryan there just was this air of of defeat in in there where you just knew something was going to keep this program and and to me there was no faith in the person in charge changing it there were questions about what kind of support there was. There were all these questions that surrounded the program. And what's exciting is that it, for the first time in a while, I don't feel like there as, are as many stump. There's still always some. You're at Notre Dame. There's always going to be some stumbling sure. blocks. But there's not as many of the self-imposed stumbling blocks. And we'll dive into some of that. But before we do, 
And we, before we kind of get into the dive into the five, dive right into five points, obviously point one, we'll be talking about Marcus Freeman and some of the specifics of what Ryan and I are, are discussing here. Do us a favor, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, give us a five-star review if you're listening via podcast platform. And of course, sign up for the message boards at boards at ourspreakdown.com.